Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. Some sublime defending from PSG and particularly Presnel Kimpembe saw their top of the table clash against Lille end goalless. Uh, Les Dogs first under their new ownership first match, that is. Uh, While today it's been announced that influential sporting director Luis Campos is leaving the club. Elsewhere at the top this weekend, a sumptuous Lyon performance saw Legun run out 4-1 winners against struggling Nice, while Brest and Montpellier clashed in arguably the weekend's most entertaining match. We'll be discussing all of the above, plus looking ahead to the final round of matches before the winter break, which takes place this Wednesday. Uh, I'm your host, Jake Smales, and this week I'm joined by Jeremy Smith and Philippe Bagiel. Um, Finally, though, and, and most importantly, before we get started, we at Get French Football News would like to offer our sincerest condolences uh, following the tragic passing of, of Johan Essirad, uh, a member of the FC Lorient ground staff who was involved in an accident with a lighting structure at the stadium after the club's match with Rennes on Sunday. All our thoughts and support go out to Johan's loved ones and to the FC Lorient family in this difficult time. Um, truly uh, horrific news. Um, let's try to end what I think has been a pretty bleak year for everyone in a positive manner and talk about the football. There's been pl- there's plenty of exciting discussion to be had after the events of the past few days, um, which is, I guess, a strange way to preface a conversation about a nil-nil. But it was, of course, a significant nil-nil as PSG were held to a draw in Lille by Les Dog uh, under the watchful eyes of their new ownership, uh, as I mentioned in the build-up there. Um, We'll get onto that in a second, but let's start by focusing uh, on the game. Um, Jez, w- would it be fair to say that this one played out more or less as expected? Um, PSG had 70% of possession, um, while Lille had 30, obviously, and were kind of looking to break on the counter. Is that is that what we all kind of expected and anticipated going into this one? Um, I guess maybe purely in terms of, of possession percentages you, you generally expect PSG to have more of the ball in, in most of the matches they play but um, apart from that probably not really as expected I, I I was expecting I was certainly expecting goals um, possibly even a high scoring game but but certainly goals um, and I just thought it would be um, much more open I thought Lille would show a little bit more Um but I think it was just one of those matches in the end where it was a little bit like that that first France-Portugal match where everyone said it was boring. But I thought it was yesterday as well, quite an interesting match, quite attritional. And it wasn't that it was defensive. I just thought that both defences were very good. And when we were on top, um, I think PSG, Lille looked, I thought, quite tired and PSG dominated the midfield, but they didn't have quite enough sort of attacking Naus to put the ball away, kind of think maybe if Mbappe had had a couple of the chances that Moise Keane had, maybe he'd have put them away. And Lille showed very little going forward. And although they were at home, I think they'll probably be reasonably happy with the result because I think as Gautier said, if, if if you're not looking like winning, then the most important thing is to make sure you don't lose. So... Yeah, it didn't exactly turn out how I thought. I mean, I'm not surprised it was a draw, but I certainly expected there to be a few goals. But um give the teams credit for, for really good defending, I thought, on both sides. Yeah, you, you mentioned defending, and I'm, I'm keen to start with, with, uh, with PSG on that front. Um, both Marquinhos and Kimpembe made the Keeps Team of the Week. 
um, both had pretty uh, sensational games and particularly Kimpembe. I mean, the highlight that's been going around is obviously that that amazing kind of last ditch tackle to stop Lille on the counter when they're they're on a on a when, they, when it's a four on one situation. Um, despite having injured himself in the build up to the challenge, um, yeah. What what are your uh, what Phil? What are your thoughts on on this match from a defensive point of view? Um, surely it's you know people will people will perhaps lament the fact that PSG didn't get over the line uh, in an attacking sense, but surely their their defensive effort deserves plaudits. Well. Um, the game was not very well received here because it was nil-nil and uh, there were very few shots on targets. Navas and uh, Mignon, who did make a couple of good saves, were generally underworked. But I get why. Uh, I get what uh, Jeremy is is saying about, uh, uh, shall we say, the solidity of of that game uh, because it still it still had uh, some quality in it. And I'm not quite sure why uh, Galtier didn't go for the didn't I'm not sure, I'm not even sure it was a tactic though because uh, Lille were just uh, they had Sumari and Andre in the midfield I think things would have been uh, very much different uh, with Renato, Renato Sanchez in the middle of the park as you as you as you could imagine because uh, because of his quality and uh, the point is a big point being uh, the front two so you had Yasichi uh, playing next to uh, Burak Ilmaz. And we've lamented the impact of Jonathan David before in this podcast, uh, saying that uh, he's not up to it and uh, and so on, uh, not create, not uh, putting away the chances, not doing the right choices, blah blah blah. Um, but uh, he does seem to uh, play well with uh, Burak Kilmaz and with Yazici, and it doesn't seem like to the both of them, uh, so the two uh, the two wise, if you if you will, uh, they don't seem to have that great an understanding, and Lin don't seem to be. That uh, that great going forward with both of them, which is you know quite uh, quite astonishing because they're, they're just two very very good players having uh, very very good seasons. Now, a defensive point of view, uh, yeah, uh, not much, not really much to to do. Kimpembe's uh, tackle was was wild and uh, showed all his uh, bravery. It was a very uh, very Mamadou Sako of him, except that he got the ball. <laughs> uh, and it's it, it's it, it was yeah it was it was the highlight the other the other one being um, being uh, Mignon's uh, save and I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure who made the header not uh, not quite remember but Mignon actually stayed I mean he stayed on his feet whereas a lot of goalkeepers would have gone down and there would have been there would have been a goal so again I just don't know if uh, that was a tactic from Galtier that he didn't he didn't want to lose his game uh, but he didn't particularly want to win it either. Um, and uh, Tuchel, I think, would be more than happy with uh, with a point, you know, a point at Lille. Uh, that Lille side uh, before this uh, fateful uh, transfer window. We'll see what happens. Um, it's uh, it's still a, an awesome result. A lot of sides, a lot of sides have, have lost at the Stade Pierre Morois, but a lot of sides have played against a better a better Lille with uh, you know full strength squad. Um, but do you do you? I mean, again, coming coming to you on this one, Phil. I think we this is a conversation that we had last week about uh after the Leon game in fact about kind of a lack of um coherency and creativity in the final third from PSG could you argue that that was I know you know we're mentioning okay it was a solid game and both sides were pretty resilient but were PSG lacking uh, in that area of the pitch and it does seem to be a problem this season I saw a a, a tweet from Opta 
um, saying that um, effectively saying that in the QSI era at PSG, this is the first time um, in a season where PSG have had one shot on target or fewer uh, in more than one match. This is the first time that's that's happened uh, in during that whole period. So in the last, what, 10, 11 seasons. Um, in other years, maybe it's happened once. Um, but this this season, it's already happened three times that PSG have been restricted to one shot on targets. So is there, you know, is there a, a, a lack of um, cohesion and kind of killer instinct in this area? Or is it perhaps the example, uh, an example of them missing Kylian Mbappe and Neymar in this one? It's uh, completely about uh, them missing Kylian Mbappe and Neymar. A lot of the criticism we can make to Tuchel is a lack of a game plan. And... Um, and basically uh, relying on these two on these two players. So Neymar is injured. He got uh, he got injured last week. Uh, it's not it's not as bad as we expected. So that's uh, that's pretty good. That's uh, wonderful news for us. Really, it would have been terrible uh, had it been a long term injury. It put, uh, uh, possibly could have ruined our ruined our season. And Mbappe is uh, these days on the bench, which we can't really complain about, given given the uh, the lack of. The lack of, um, uh, I'm sorry, not the lack. Of, it's the fact that he's that they've been playing so so many games after the after the final eight. But that's uh, mainly the criticism. The three four two one that we that we are using. Um, I, I doubt the, the Mitchell two um, is uh, is up to it. Uh, Di Maria not playing as an out and out winger in a four three three is not that efficient um, at all, really. Um, uh, also, and Rafinha is not he's not exactly I mean I don't I don't you know I'm not an expert on Rafinha because he just uh, he just came here uh, but I don't think he's uh, he's that kind of solution I think he's better in the hole behind um, above the central midfielders and behind the strikers just I, I think he had a better go at it than uh, Zandi Maria uh, and that Moise Keane uh, showed, showed great movement I mean the you can't really fault uh, Maurice Keane. I mean, his movement was uh, was good. He tried to he tried to score. He couldn't. Well, that's uh, you know uh, better luck better luck next time. But I don't think the formation actually works for for anyone. And, and again, Tuchel is uh, is uh, doing what uh, what he can with the form of the of the players he has. Uh, you know, um, a, a lot of a lot of players are injured. A lot of players are tired, and uh, he has to think about the second half of the season. There's barely going to be a, a winter break, so you know. Uh, I think I think he's again. I think he's doing a good job with with what he with what he had. But we're definitely uh, reliant on on Mbappe and Neymar to uh, to to get us to get us goals. That's uh, that's for sure. Um, I understand what you're saying about you know the, the the fatigue that the players will be dealing with given the given the circumstances and you know players being out of form. Manuel Di Maria obviously hasn't been. Playing at the standards that we we've seen him play at in recent seasons before, but but Jez, surely you know if if the problem is the is is the system, surely Tuchel. The impression I get is that Tuchel doesn't doesn't seem to know his best system this season. You know, regardless of players being in or out of form, it's it's you know this this kind of experimentation um, it, it's not working at the moment. Um, I think that's probably true, but I think it might be true of the the whole time that Tuchel's been there, and I suppose. When things are going well, you can kind of be charitable and say, you know, it's great tactical fluidity and, and you know, he changes his formation according to the opposition and, and um, you know, it's great that he's kind of pragmatic and, and um, isn't sort of 
too stuck to a system like like some coaches are and and when it's not going so well or um you know all the uh the sort of hatchets are out for him you can you can use it as a sort of stick to beat him with um i just it's obviously not an excuse for everything but it is such a quirky season with players in and out um with little consistency in terms of 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 personnel from match to match, you know, PSG got three more injuries at the end of the match, even though one of them was sort of self-inflicted, which, mm. which is probably going to cause problems leading leading up to to at least the the last match of this year, if not going into next year. Um, it, it was a strange formation, and and you know, although we're talking in terms of of Lille being set up not to lose, um, I thought it was a, a relatively um, negative formation from from Tuchel as well and and um yeah as good as, good as Keen, Keen is Di Maria is is not in the greatest of form and that being the case I'm not sure playing him in a in a stri- slightly strange sort of second striker role necessarily is going to help him regain that confidence um but the Lyon match aside I mean PSG have, have had a little bit of an upturn Okay, like for example, the the win last week against Lorient was was slightly sketchy and maybe a little bit flattering, um, but the, their form has improved the last sort of three four weeks. So um, I suppose you, you've got to give him a little bit of credit for that. And um, I mean, I I feel like he's not. I don't think he's the first PSG coach to be undermined from above, and I'm sure not. He won't be the last, but um, I feel like he's. A lot of the time, he's kind of fighting a losing battle, and and um, will probably find things to criticise him for um, whatever he does. Um, but the fact that they've steadied the ship, that they've qualified for for Champions League, I think it's going to be a case of sort of you know put this year to bed, uh, try to get as many players as fit as possible as quickly as possible, and then um, you know it's a new year and let's get back to the sort of. Um, cold-eyed winning PSG as quickly as possible. Let's um, move on now to to what's been going on behind the scenes at Lille. Um, we mentioned that the new owners were watching on. Uh, it was confirmed on Friday that the club had been sold and that investment fund Maryland Partners have taken over the club's debt and installed former Ren and PSG president Olivier Letang as club president. Um, for more on this and the potential ramifications for Lille, I would Strongly recommend checking out GFFN's collaboration with The Guardian, uh, published today, and also listening back to the conversation Phil had with uh, with Lewis on the on the preview show on on Thursday. So we won't go too much into the kind of broader ramifications, but but Jez, I do want to get your kind of two cents on everything that's going on behind the scenes at Lille, and um, and yeah, what you think, um, how you think things are likely to develop for them in the future. Um... The the thing is, I mean, I'm I, I'm not going to pretend to be any kind of economist, and certainly not a football economist. So, and you know, it's a little bit like watching Real Madrid over the years. I've never entirely understood how you can sort of be massively in debt and still be um, buying and selling to your heart's content. And um, you know, I, I know there's certain people who do think that that Lopez is possibly not entirely clean in the way in in his dealings, but. Um, Kind of taking the the debts and that that side of it aside, their purely footballing model 
over the last couple of years has been very good. And obviously a lot of that is down to, to Campos kind of continuing what he did at, at Monaco and, and um, finding young talents, buying them cheap and, and selling them for a lot. And you look at, for example, Sven Botman this year, who's replaced Gabriel, who, you know, the same kind of thing. They bought him for 2 million, sold him for 22, 23 million. Botman, they bought for a bit more, but it, certainly looks at the rate he's going that whether it's this summer or, or later on he's going to go for for a hell of a big profit as well from that point of view it's going very well from the playing point of view they finished second two years ago I think they would have got a Champions League place last year if the season had, had, had played itself out and they're obviously you know so far title contenders and playing very good football this year. So um purely on the on the on the pitch, I think it's going very well. My concern is that um you know, Gautier gave an interview two or three weeks ago saying kind of, you know, I'm happy as long as we have the trio of of me, um Lopez and, and Campos continuing to work together. We work really well. We do completely different things. We don't step on each other's toes. And as long as all three of us are there, I, you know, things are going to go well. If even one of us is missing, then uh, well, effectively, I'm not very happy. Um, this is in the context of Campos having sort of gone AWOL since August. Mm. And obviously now things are developed because both Campos and Lopez are out. So um, I hope for Lille's sake, that they can all keep it together at least until the end of the, the season. But, um, you know, I did see or hear a rumour that Galtier actually came very close to, to walking out on Tuesday. And oh. I expect him to stay until the end of the season. But for me now, there's even, I think it was likely anyway, but I think that there's no doubt in my mind that, that he'll leave in the summer now. Yeah, that, I mean, that is that is certainly concerning. And, and obviously, you mentioned there the fact that today it was was revealed by by Letong that that Luis Campos has left the club, which again isn't really a surprise, perhaps given that he has been AWOL for most of the season. But you know, re- regardless of of the new ownership and and what their intentions are for the club, you know how how does this impact impact Lille? Because you know he's quite rightly lauded as kind of one of the most astute and. Um, arguably best sporting directors in the world in terms of what he offers a club and the talent that he's able to to bring and then what he means for a club that follows a model like Lille's where you're bringing in younger players and 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 selling them obviously you you, you listed a couple of examples there uh, Jez but you know what what does the departure of Luis Campos mean to Lille and in, in terms of well the immediate impact to the club um, and also kind of the 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 wider ramifications to the kind of model um, that they're gonna they're gonna move to. Phil, any ideas on this one? Now, Gatia has uh, for a very long time um, worked on a shoestring budget with uh, probably not the uh, the most easy uh, board he ever had to uh, to work with at uh, Saint Etienne. Um, I believe him when he said that he loves to work with uh, Campos and Lopez, and that things have been going well. It's obviously been going very well because the results have been there. Um, but uh, I think he's still he's still an extremely professional person that and he he will um, uh, he will do uh, with what uh, you you know what he is dealt with he don't doesn't really doesn't really have a choice and that he'll keep uh, he'll keep uh, doing uh, he'll keep doing uh, doing his job 
not saying it's going to have zero effect on um, on the little squad. It's going to be harder than in the first half of the season. So the second half of the season, there's going to be there's going to be the, uh, the knockout stages of the Europa League, and they are going to um, see where they want to finish uh, and uh, in the league and uh, treat the Europa League accordingly. I think Galtier is going to uh, is going to manage it as best as he can. Now it's not ideal, but I think he'll uh, he'll he'll give it a good go because uh, I doubt he's ever made it uh, past fourth. I think in the league, and I think it's uh, it's uh, he, he'd be he'd be you know quite happy to finish in uh, a Champions League spots and. Again, no doubt in my mind, he'll probably be gone by the summer. Uh, not only because of the situation. Um, well, he probably have you know, he'll probably uh, you know uh, have a great uh, have a great relationship with Litton. I mean, Litton has done some really good job at Rennes, spending loads of money as well. Uh, but I think people are going to realize that Galtier is a much better manager than we give him give him credit for, and he's probably going to go to a to to a bigger club in France or abroad. So uh, yeah, I mean, what what really concerns me is uh, what Lille have to uh, have to do is not to sell uh, all their squad in January, like I read in some in some reports. They need to keep it together. And I think the new investors would be uh, stupid to do that because uh, they have an opportunity to win the league, which uh, the last time I believe was in two thousand nine or two thousand ten. So not that long ago, but you know, it would be would be nice for them to to win it again and. Uh, Establish themselves as a regular Champions League club uh, for for France. I mean, uh, Lyon are with uh, PSG is the only club who are not too ridiculous and in the Champions League knockout stages. Last time Lille, they were very very bad. They uh, lost. Uh, no, they lost a, a home game to uh, to Ajax, um, and they weren't uh, doing that well. But you know, if those new uh, owners are serious, then they, they, there's something to do. With or without Galtier, there is indeed, and and I maintain that that finding somebody to do the role that Luis Campos does as well as Luis Campos is going to be is going to be near on impossible. You know, of course, Galtier rightly is is kind of you know responsible for the 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 uh, um, phenomenal performances we've seen from Lille over the last few seasons, but but you know, in terms of what Campos offers uh, that club, not just in terms of quali- the quality of players. That he brings in through his scouting acumen, but also um, financially, the you know the players that he's able to 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 bring in for them, and 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 what that offers the club, you know, that's it's a huge loss for for Lille and, a, and potentially a huge loss for for Ligue 1 not having uh, a sporting director of that caliber uh, at a club. Um, it will be certainly interesting to follow the developments at Lille, uh, particularly given that this new ownership uh, structure, if you like, does look relatively murky slash mysterious so uh you know which is all the more alarm alarm bell ringing all the more more alarm bells are ringing as a result of that given you know the recent occurrences we've uh we see with the uh media pro deal and everything else let's move on to uh, the next match in the uh title race if you like uh from the weekend as nice hosted leon uh, nice, under the stewardship of interim coach Adrian Ursea, had picked up two, um, picked up their first win uh, since Vieira's departure, winning 2 0 over Nîmes midweek, despite being down to 10 men for most of the second half. Uh, although, let's be honest, winning against Nîmes is not the biggest scalp at the moment. Uh, Leon, unbeaten since September, suffered a frustrating draw against Brest at home midweek, uh, conceding a late, late penalty there. 
but this weekend, despite a spirited first half showing from Les Aiglons, OL tore them apart, winning 4-1 with goals from their pro- prolific front three, uh, including a glorious Penenka from Memphis Depay, uh, with Usem Awa adding the fourth. Former Lyon man Amin Guiri followed the script, scoring against his former club, uh, but that proved to be nothing more than a consolation goal. Um, Phil, what did you make of this match? Uh, it, uh, it honestly felt a bit like a Coupe de France match. It, uh, uh, the, uh, the Lyon was so much, uh, so much better than Nice. I, I feel that uh, Nice have been extremely, uh, still look uh, even more uh, mentally fragile than they were uh, um, under Vieira. And I think Corsair was taking his time, but you do feel like uh, the, the players were playing for you know, a recognised coach who had won uh, a recognised player, sorry, who is just starting out as a coach, uh, who had won major trophies, so uh, probably more more respect. They were they were playing European football. They were terrible at it, but they were still playing European football. And you feel like, um, yeah, they need uh, a couple of wins straight away to uh, to get their to get their confidence back. I honestly, I mean, I, I don't think uh, Lyon had to uh, had to play that well to to open them up. Uh, Benitez not uh, not showing the greatest uh, the greatest of form. Um, yeah. It's uh, it um, it wasn't it was it was embarrassingly one-sided basically. Um, not to not to diminish you know Lyon's uh, quality in in midfield. There's some really great performances uh, from the uh, from the midfield midfield trio. Uh, just just so much more uh, so much better than 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 Nice. So you know the, the result was a was a really uh, a foregone conclusion. Um, and I, I believe that uh, Nice. Uh, will be very very happy to see that uh, they do have a game in hand and they are nine points clear of that playoff place. But they need to uh, yeah regroup and uh, try and be more solid, uh, more hard to beat against this type of side. But again, they won't they won't they won't um, play a side of Lyon's caliber every every week. I mean Lyon are joint joint top uh, courtesy of uh, the one goal by on goal difference to Lille so you know it's uh, it's still a very difficult uh, ask for a side a side like Nice um, players yeah playing, players need to regain form regain confidence and this takes time this takes time but yeah it was it was just one sided are you are you being a bit harsh on, on Nice there don't you think because I thought in the in the first half actually you know they looked to be to be playing with a bit more coherency than we saw um, in the last few games under under Vieira's reign, and they were missing a few players there. You know, I, I think Schneiderlin was suspended, and and obviously we've talked a lot about the absence of Dante. But you know, in the first half, Leon are playing. Well, Leon are basically a machine at the moment. So you know, didn't do, do, do Denise deserve and and Adrian Osea, Does he deserve some credit for kind of the first half at least before the game just got away from 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 them a bit, Phil? Or do you think do you think that's kind of giving too much credit to them? Uh, I didn't catch uh, the name you uh, you mentioned. The player who didn't you mention? Oh, Schneiderlin being suspended. Oh, Schne- uh, yeah. Um, again, I, I, I've got nothing against them. You know, I, don't, I, I love the place and, and all that. But uh, yeah, you've got uh, you've got Boudewi and Chouamulian uh, up against uh, the likes of uh, of Paqueta, Guimaraes, and and so on. I mean, it's it's not it's not you know it's not that they that. Uh, they're particularly bad. They were just inferior to Lyon. That's it in in midfield. And I didn't I didn't quite see the uh, the, the coherence in in the formation 
in the formation either. I mean, again, I think uh, I think the uh, the need for a proper centre back um, to, uh, to put uh, I mean Guiri behind uh, behind him uh, is really really needed, and you could you, you could find those in uh, in Niga. Uh, st- I still think a lot of work needs to be done by by Osea. But again, I, I see where you're coming from, and I, I saw lo- lots of tweets uh, saying that. It's just not an opinion I, uh, I share. That's fair enough. Uh, um, moving on to the, the coaching situation, obviously a certain Lucien Favre was, was sacked by Dortmund um, last weekend. Um, obviously, he did a commendable jo- uh, job in the Cote d'Azur. He's uh, very highly regarded. Osea is his former assistant. Um, I think you guys can see where, where, I'm, where I'm going with this. Jeremy, do you think um, a Lucien Favre renaissance on the Cote d'Azur is uh, is possible anytime soon, or do you think uh, that's just a pipe dream, perhaps? Um, I mean, <laughs> they always say never go back, so I'm not sure it'll be the cleverest idea. And and um, certainly, I mean, obviously, um, Ineos have got money to spend, but I'm I'm not sure that um, the current the current squad is exactly set up for for Favre style of football. Um, and you know, Nice as well. There seem to be a few sort of prickly and strong personalities working in the background. So I, I don't know how well they'll gel with Favre either. Um, so for me, it's I'm not sure it's necessarily a good idea. But um, from both from both sides, there's certainly enough money there. I think for it to happen. But um, you know, maybe maybe Favre is holding out for the Arsenal job. I don't know. <laughs> That's a poison chalice there. <laughs> um, but um, while we've got you on the pod, Jez, I'd be interested to get your take on this, on, on, on Leon uh, at the minute. Specifically, I guess, in, in light of what you were saying, Phil, I kind of have a question, um, which is, you know, you were, you were talking about the, the, the strength of that Leon midfield. But, and obviously in that particular game, you know, the goals came from, from all three of the attackers. And Cadawara in particular, I was very, very impressed with um, with the goal and with the uh, assist for that on that brutal counter attack for uh, Toko Akambi, um, but but Jez, if Leon are to, to kind of be serious title challenges this season, which area of the pitch uh, do you feel could prove to be more decisive that that midfield three or or those those attacking those attacking players? Um, I, I mean, I, I guess they they sort of work very well together, and and when you've got um, three strikers like that, and I guess you should you should in theory add Dembele to the in- equation. Although obviously he's not he's not having the greatest season. Mm. Um, that there, there are goals in there, and and I have to admit I didn't necessarily think that Toko Kambi and, and Kadwera were up to it. But um, first of all, they certainly seem to be, and secondly, it's not just sort of on an individual basis, but the the three of them with with Depay just seem to be gelling really well. And, and like you said, that that breakaway goal was um, was was really good and, and sort of showed the understanding that they seem to be developing together. But um, for me, I, th- I think it's probably more the midfield. Again, there's, there's an element of sort of, of Garcia having to keep everyone happy because, you know, while you've got those three who started yesterday? You've also got Kakare, who hasn't really done anything mm. wrong to to sort of drop out of the first team reckoning. Um, you've got Mendes, who I think has been much, 
you know, much better this year, a lot closer to, to the Lille Mendes than, than we saw last year. Um, you even got whatever, uh, Lucas, who's now pushing for, for a loan deal in January because he's bored of waiting around for, for a chance. So I think um, the fact that there, there's a few players there in, in reserve that Garcia can rotate if need be um, could be important. I just, my concern is that in in midfield that that a lot of those players are the types that very much can seem to blow hot and cold um paqueta sort of started really well for milan and then completely fell off a cliff Awa, i've said before I, ju- I just don't trust him i just you know for every one match he plays well i think we'll play two or three terribly um Guimaraes lost form at the start of the year kakare is still quite young and green mendez as we said is coming off the back of an awful late year last year so i think it's important that, that garcia somehow finds a way to to keep everyone happy to keep them fit but also to keep them in form and if he can do that i think you know leon clearly have the second best squad after PSG and when you look at all of PSG's injuries if if Lyon can keep everyone fit and happy then then they really can be contenders so in answer to your question I'd say maybe just about the midfield is more important just because I think that can be sort of make or break for Lyon I kind of think that the strikers will be fine. They'll look after themselves and I think they'll get the goals between them. But it's whether the midfield can, can maintain the control and, and sort of also help out the defence and, and, yeah, just keep the balance that's needed in order to be title winners. For sure. And, you know, you would hope that, that uh, as you say, Kakare is still young. You think he's not going to be, although he's, I guess, perhaps frustrated and that he's obviously shown his quality particularly in that Champions League run in the summer. Um, you know, you have him and you have someone like Lucas. Okay, if he goes, he's he's not particularly featuring on a, on a regular basis. So so um, you'd, you'd like to think that they will be able to, to keep things, uh, you know, keep things, keep things going in that regard and that Garcia will be able to keep everyone happy. Um, but let's hope certainly from a, a, from a neutral perspective that they are able to keep everyone at the club with the with this January transfer window um, coming up. Although it doesn't sound like anyone has any money to buy players anyway at the moment. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, let's move on to our final match um, of the weekend that we're going to take a look at. Um, the clash between Brest and Montpellier, two of the, the most exciting teams to watch this season. Uh, two sides with plenty in them going forward who met at the Stade Francis Leblay. Uh, it's safe to say the match did not disappoint. Montpellier were 1-0 up uh, on the stroke of half-time, thanks to Gaetan Laborde, uh, but were pegged back by goals from Romain Philippotto and Brendan Chardonnay in the second half before a late equaliser from Andy Delors for the visitors. Um, I want to specifically focus on, on one player in particular um, from this match, uh, and that's Romain Favre. Um, he got the assist for the Chardonnay goal, and obviously he's 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 had a lot of plaudits this season, and um, rightly so. You know he's got four goals, three assists. He's 22 years old, and he barely featured for Monaco prior to joining Brest. I think it was something like four games in in two and a half seasons. But but Jez, what have you made of his uh, of his time in in Brittany so far? Um, and in light of that, kind of where do you feel he ranks in terms of? shrewd bits of business so far this season um well I mean, 
he's right up there. I think there's got Roman Perro on the other side of the pitch. And I think he was one of the best pieces of business last summer, even though it went re- sort of relatively under the radar. But Fevre, I mean, you look at the, the, the issues that Monaco have had the last couple of years and, and um, yes, they're steadying the ship this year, but it's, it's mystifying why they, why they didn't give Fevre more of a chance. Um, he's just he's fitted perfectly into into this breast team, and and I, I think they do play a type of sort of total football. You know the way that the fullbacks are involved more than a lot of the attackers in in a lot of the attacks, and the goals really can, and certainly the assists can come from anywhere across the pitch. But um, you know Fairf is a crucial part of it. Just I think a quality footballer, so comfortable in the ball, really good delivery, and as you said, a finisher. As well, he's broken into the, the France under twenty one team. Um, it's it's bizarre to me that he kind of that Monaco not only let him go but didn't give him more of a chance when they were struggling. Um, we've talked before about how they sort of got a little bit um, maybe too overconfident with their sort of youth policy, and they were kind kind of ended up playing sort of 15, 16 year olds who didn't have any kind of pro experience behind them. But Fevre is, is that little bit older. He's, I think he's 22 now. Um, you know, the last year, the year before would have been a perfect time to, to give him a, give him a go. And, and I, I'm not sure what Monaco were thinking, but, but Brest are certainly benefiting. And, and Dalolio, I think is a, is a quality coach to, for him to learn under, um, you know, certainly, recently read an interview with, with Ibrahim Diallo and he talked about how he developed and, and under Dario and his philosophy for, for playing football and, you know, not kind of, <laughs> I'm going to, if if I talk about mess later on, I'm going to completely contradict everything I'm, I'm about to say, but um, how Dalolio's um, attitude is is sort of very much, you know, it doesn't matter who you're playing, doesn't matter if you're playing against PSG, you should play to your strengths, you should look to play quality football and, you know, if you think going into it thinking you're going to lose anyway, why not lose at least playing to, um, you know, entertaining stuff and I think Fevre is, is crucial to 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 the way that Brest are playing at the moment and, and I mean, for me, they're, they're, they're the most fun team to watch so far this season. I thought you would pick Lance, Jeremy, but clearly not. Um, Sorry? I said I thought you would pick Lance as the most fun team to watch. Never. <laughs> no, but uh, but no, but seriously, um it, what what you were saying there about about Dalolio and you know how 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 he he is perhaps the best the coach to get the best out of a player like Fever. I mean, Brest are 11th this season and you know we we know that he is a coach who likes to play on the front foot and play attacking football and from, from his time at Dijon. And it didn't come off at times, or from my perspective, at least seemed to come off at times last season. But, you know, this season, as I say, they're 11th. Uh, I think looking at the stats, Brest had 17 shots, seven on target against uh, uh, Michel de Zakari and Montpellier side, albeit perhaps a more slightly more ambitious one going forward than we've seen in the past. But what what do you think has changed this season under Dalolio? Do you think it is just bringing in players like Fev that, that have made the difference? I think it probably is just a little bit more settled in Liga. Um, possibly, I mean, maybe even the fact that that Diallo isn't there means that 
and sort of left very late in the window without an obvious replacement coming in that, that they sort of not attack is the best form of defense but they had to change their tactics a little bit more because they they didn't have such a quality um sort of defensive um shield there in front in front of the defense um and yeah Perro coming into his own or not coming into his own but he's not you know now had a, a year's experience in the top flight so um sort of more accomplished I think you know it is still a relatively young team and um so I think it's it's natural that a few of those players as they develop together and build more of an understanding from being used to playing together they'll they'll just they'll improve and up front they've got slightly different options you know with a Cardona who um you know missed Missed a terrible chance of the last kick of the game yesterday, but has been sort of back to what we thought he would become when he was a, a youth player at Monaco. You've got Mounier now as a as a complete foil to that, playing a very different kind of football, but um, effective in its own way as well. So I just think that there's there's kind of weapons and, and potential goals and assists all over the pitch. You've got someone like Onora scoring cracking 25 yarders like he did last week. Um, it's just it feels like there's a lot of players there who are kind of not necessarily at their peak. You know, as we said, Fevre is is still young, but um, playing well, playing confidently, and playing for each other at the same time. Going moving to look at particularly at at Cardona, who you mentioned there, Jez, um, who's obviously, as you say, kind of back to looking like the player we thought he would be at um, a Monaco. Um, Phil, coming to you on this one, we had a question on Twitter from Liam Scahill who asked, is Ivan Cardona destined for a big money move? What do you think, based on based on current form? I haven't given it much thought, actually. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's a, yes, that's a very good question. I don't... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, anything is possible. <laughs> uh, it's not going to be a very uh, argumentative and and uh, and uh, strong, strongly analysed uh, answer, shall we say? But uh, of course, I mean, yeah, it's all about uh, I think about Brest's um, way of way of playing, which is which is very very direct, which is very much uh, focused uh, focused on on the wings, um, and I think it, it suits him. So uh, big money. Uh, Probably, I, I, I doubt it would uh, it would be uh, something like 100 million euros or something, but uh, yeah, <laughs> he he's probably yeah he probably will be playing otherwhere than uh, elsewhere than than Brest in the foreseeable future. Maybe not. I mean, probably not in 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 January. Maybe maybe in the summer. But uh, I think I think he's uh, he's he's enjoying himself right now, and uh, he'd be a bit a bit silly to uh, to move uh, to move elsewhere in January. But uh, yeah. It, it should uh, things things should happen, but you know I, I could say Cardona is one of the players that uh, impresses me offensively. Uh, Muni, well, we, we know we know that Muni is good, and Onora is uh, is quite is quite good as well. Filippo is proven is proven too. So you know it, it's uh, it's also the fact that he's he's playing with all these very um, open and uh, shall we say. Um, Ambitious, ambitious players offensively. I think that's that's very important, very important to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think if you put Cardona at Angers, for instance, no offense to to Thomas or all that all that Angers are faithful. <laughs> um, 
uh, it wouldn't really, you know, I don't, I don't think it would, uh, it would happen uh, in, in, it would, it would happen for him. It would, yeah, it would be a bit more difficult. I'm not saying, you know, I mean, he's, he's another four. Yeah. And I saw you go ahead. No, just just to finish. I mean, he only has four league goals. It's not like uh, he'd been he's been uh, topping the charts or anything, but uh, still playing, but playing playing really well with a lot of players who are playing uh, good football in, uh, offensively. I think it's five goals, no. But either way, I take your I take your point. It's um, anyway another strike a set of strikers who are perhaps having the best brought out of them by the club they're at are Andy Delors and Gaëtan Laborde, one of the the more underrated strike partnerships in Europe, uh, certainly outside of France, shall we say. Um, uh, Laborde here scored. Delort got a goal and a, an assist, so both on the score sheet here. Um, but more recently, we've seen uh, Laborde in particular being linked with a with a January move to the Premier League. Um, Jez, I, I just want to get your thoughts quickly on how that would how that could potentially impact Montpellier. You know, obviously, obviously, Andy Delort is perhaps kind of the more celebrated of the two. Um, and they're more prolific, but but they come as a pair, surely, no? Um, they, they certainly seem to be extremely effective as a pair. I think they, they both have qualities of their own. Delore has shown it already for, for a few years now, apart from a Wigan. Um, and Laborde, I think, as long as you're putting in good crosses to him, then then he's going to, I think he's got the ability to to put them away. It doesn't really matter who who's providing them. Um I do know a Montpellier fan on on Twitter who seems to to be constantly criticising Laborde's conversion rate. So, if he was to move to the to the Premier League, that that might be something to keep an eye on. But certainly, the the two of them together just seem to have a fantastic relationship. And I saw a tweet. I don't know if it was kind of joking or not, but it sort of said that there's this season there's Kane and Son, and then there's Laborde and Delors. I don't know if that's sort of backed up by statistics or was just a, a sort of random claim but um certainly you know when one's not scoring he's assisting for the other and vice versa and and they they just seem to have a very good understanding and and you you sort of sometimes think it that when you when you've got a, a striking partnership like that you expect one to be sort of a, a big guy and another one a, a kind of smaller one and sort of little and large partnership but they're both sort of um, you know, big, strong, good in the air, but deceptively good with their feet as well. And I, I think, I mean, I, I know it was strange circumstances when he went to Wigan, but I do think both of them would have the capability to 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 play in England if given the chance. Um, I'm not entirely sure that many English fans would would appreciate Delors' sort of um, bling attitude, but. You know, he's certainly not the only only one nowadays is like that, and there's enough of them in the Premier League. Um, I th- I think they could make a success of it for Montpellier. I think um, probably losing either of them would have quite a b- big effect, just because I think they they'd very much have to to change their their way of playing. I mean, is it Skulatich? It's also a big striker, but certainly yeah. not in, in their class at all. Um, but then on the other side of it, I keep meaning to, and Mavadidi is obviously doing well as well. So he, he's sort of coming in with a few goals. So, you know, maybe with more responsibility, he's he, he sort of carry on his upward curve. But I keep meaning to check. It seems to me that for the last three or four years now, obviously, usually it's in a more defensive setup. But um, I'm sure that Montpellier 
second half of the season always seems to be much worse than their first half. So if they're going to carry on that way, maybe it's better to, to, to sell sell one of them now and then and have have sort of longer to <laughs> to have their usual dip and then and then focus on what they're going to do in the summer. Yeah, it has certainly seemed that it seems to be that way. It seemed to be in that way over the last couple of seasons, particularly I think the 2018-19 season. They looked in a very good way in sort of January, and then and then fell away a little bit in the race for Europa League. Montpellier sixth now, then looking perhaps the most exciting they have yet under Derzakarian. So it would be a blow to have that partnership broken up in any way. Before asking the both, I think one last on. thing, very, 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 very quickly. I uh, seem to I noticed that they went back to three at the back with Hilton coming back, and I just see Montpellier as being much more uh, threatening and just much better as a unit. Uh, starting from the back, then you've got uh, Savagny uh, um, doing loads of great things in midfield, and then you've got the front two of Laborde and. Uh, and a lot, which you didn't really see in Hilton's in Hilton's absence, because then they had to revert to four three three with just one striker, and that's uh, that makes a, a lot of difference. I mean, they did beat Strasbourg, they did win against Saint-Étienne, they did get all these decent results, but I think they would have, for instance, against PSG, they would, they would have been much much better uh, had they played this this three five two or three four one two, where they would have been, you know, very very. Uh, Threatening, so I think it's great news for it's great news for um, uh, more pretty fans that uh, Hilton is back. Well, that remains to be seen. They did win, I think it was four four in a row. No, playing the four three three without him, but you know it's not what's a, what's a, what's Montpellier without without Hilton. You know, essential. Anyway, let's move on, guys. Before I ask you both to pick a game um, from the last round uh, that you're particularly anticipating, I would just like to open up the floor to you both and see if there's anything from French football uh, we haven't discussed, any news from the past four days or five days or anything from the matches that you would like to bring to the table. Jez, let's start with you. Um, well, as I alluded to earlier, I'm just going to be sort of very parochial and biased and, and just say how much I enjoyed Messi's win over <laughs> over Lens at the weekend um, because I'm I'm a very, very bitter person. I, I will never <laughs> forgive Lens for what happened in 98 and I just generally can't bear the sort of best fans in France, the most English fans in France, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, a lot of the time that just means they're more hooligan-like than than any other fans I find. Um, and just everything about that club seems to be indulged and it drives me mad. And so for Mess to comfortably beat them was lovely. And for actually for them to do it playing a relatively defensive, they kind of did it a very sort of Deschamps for France way. Um, to be fair, they've got a hell of a lot of injuries. Um, obviously, their main striker is out for a long time, so they're playing to their strengths. So I have no issues with that. Um, but it was very much like France-Belgium. Lens can complain all they want about how beautiful their football is, but Mess have more chances and they put their chances away and they won comfortably. And uh, yeah, uh, I... <laughs> um, that's pretty much. I don't know. I was I was going to say something else. I forgot what it was. But um, oh yeah, no, there was. Um, you know, we had a similar 
performance and result against Montpellier the other day and, and Montpellier fans seemed generally to be relatively fine about it. Lance fans were completely classless about it, including one making quite nasty comments about, um, you know, did Antonetti's football die with his wife and that kind of thing. So, uh-huh. you know, for, for that kind of thing as well, um, you know, I'm hoping for all the more victory to mess and all the more misery for loss. Yeah, well, those sort of comments are just lack class, as you say, and deserve no place in in any context whatsoever. What what has your your what what, what is your kind of assessment of of where Mets are at the moment this season, Jez? Because looking at the table, tenth, twenty three points, positive goal difference. Um, obviously, there have been players who've kind of emerged this season, like like Gay, um, eleven points clear of the relegation zone. When I think many had Mets to go down, particularly after. Diallo left and even more so I think when we discussed on the on the preview show a couple of months back when when Ibrahim Nian picked up his injury how how would you assess the season so far um so far really positive I think I sort of hoped that we wouldn't be in the relegation fight um a lot depended on where the goals would come from so it's kind of actually even more impressive that that we're where we are considering we lost our main striker um i yeah but i I certainly didn't expect us to to have 23 points at this stage in the season to to be as high as 10th and yeah to do that without nian but not only nian there's a few other injuries and now got both our left backs out as well um maiga who's he's been in and out pajor who was absolutely crucial to to our turnaround and form last year has been out for quite a while now as well so um Obviously, Antonetti has come back in. I mean, he was always sort of involved, but obviously a lot more now on a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, that, that I think, has made a, a big difference and just given a, a sort of clearer direction to, to where the players are going. He's managing to get more consistency out of, of Bulaya, who, who is obviously the, the sort of, I guess, the, the real talent of the team or the, the player that you, you look to to get a little bit of a spark from. Um, I don't expect us to finish as high as 10th, certainly not if our, our injuries continue, but I also don't expect us to be anywhere near the, the relegation zone. And, and um, so, yeah, really positive so far. And if we can sort of match, come anywhere near to, to matching it in the second half of the season, uh, you know, you remember we even feel like we threw away a couple of points against the likes of PSG and Marseille and Lille at the mm. start of the season as well. So um, overall, it, extremely positive. And yes, it would be nice to play more expansive football, but we don't have the means. And at the moment, we don't have the personnel. Um, and so I think the important thing after sort of you know, 15, 20 years of being such a yo-yo club, the important thing is to to really maintain our place in Ligue 1. Um, and and sort of take it from there. We've got new training facilities. We're we're doing up the the stadium, um, so everything's kind of moving in the right direction. Um, the the Diallo thing was a, a massive PR disaster, but um, you know fans are fickle, and and as long as we keep getting the results on the pitch, I think that'll quickly be forgotten about. And it certainly feels the most positive. Um, place that we've been in basically since the the turn of the century really that makes wow. sound really dramatic turn of the century you know since since 98 99 and the great team we had then sure well good times in, in mess indeed uh phil what about you what's caught your eyes over the last week or so 
Uh, I really wish you would have asked me first because <laughs> it's the same thing. Uh, of course, uh, Jeremy would, would have talked about mess. Uh, I watched the game and uh, very impressed, extremely impressed. I'm going to, to talk about mess too, so I'm sorry. Uh, because, uh, yeah, very resolute. I thought, uh, I thought Kuyate was, was a rock. Not saying that Loss have, have, have great attacking uh are uh, the best uh, the best attacking uh, team in team in the league. So the midfield was was brilliant as well. I think the system works quite well. Not sure if uh, uh, if I got this right, but I thought it was uh, it was more of a uh, end get pl- uh, playing on the right hand side and then uh, playing out a striker with Boulaya behind the two strikers. But anyway, I mean the performance was was excellent. Uh, Mess have been Mess have been excellent, and I can't I don't really want to talk about about anyone else because it's mainly it's mainly been the what I what I actually noticed this weekend was how good Mets are uh, with uh, all th- all things considered. Uh, yes, a lot of uh, of criticism I read on on Twitter, but uh, you know, Lance are a very popular a popular club, and it's much easier to make fun of Mets than it is to make fun of Lance in terms of in terms of numbers. I can't really believe that this is this comment about Antonetti. I hadn't uh, haven't haven't seen it before, and I'm glad that I didn't. I mean, it's it's absolutely awful. So uh, yeah, great uh, kudos on Mets, and uh, and you know they they could they are top half. Now and honestly, well, I, I do. I do actually rate Brest higher than uh, than Mets, and I believe that. Unfortunately, Bordeaux will 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 finish will finish higher up. But it could be it could be a chance for Mets to finish top of the table for the first time since the ninety eight ninety nine, which is which would be great for the club. I mean, the club did did spend a couple of seasons. Usually, play a couple uh, play a couple of seasons. Spend a couple of seasons in in League Two. They went even down to National. Uh, only stayed one season, I think. So yeah, it's, it's been it's been great. It's been great to to see them perform like this and uh, saying, okay, uh, uh, a bit of a bit of uh, if you don't like us, it doesn't matter. We're still going to do our thing. I I actually had the uh, had the chance to witness them this season. So it's a very rare occurrence. Uh, in uh, 2020, 2021, uh, it was PSG versus Metz. Uh, where I attended the game at the, when they came to play at the Parc des Princes and Metz conceded a very, very late goal in stoppage time. And again, extremely resolute and uh, very, very sure, very assured of what they were doing. So, you know, there's, there's absolutely no way to me that they'll be close to the relegation zone. And uh, yeah, go go for a top half finish. You're, well, I don't know if you'll get much much money with all the TV things, but you know you're supposed to get more money when you're when you finish high up the table. So you know, go for it. Well, there you go, Mets fans, and you have your own segment there this week. So, <laughs> so great stuff. My moment of the weekend was uh, just a very brief uh, shout out uh, to Laurent Blanc, uh, who's just taken up his first job since leaving PSG in in uh, in 2016. Who's now managing Al Rayyan in Qatar joined by uh, Ligue 1 veteran Franck Passy, who, of course, was um, man- assistant manager of, uh, of Marseille and, and Monaco uh, more recently. And I think he coached New York in, the, in, in Ligue 2 as well uh, this year. So, um, so yeah, fascinating move. Not the one I think many expected, um, given the uh, it, it seemed for all the world like Blanc was holding out for a big job. But, but there you go. We look forward to seeing what's next in his career trajectory uh, in the Middle East. Um, finally, guys, let's take a look at some of the fixtures coming up this Wednesday. Um, it would be great if we could all pick a match that we think will be particularly 
interesting, be it for the entertainment value, be it for the context, uh, the narrative of the season, if you like. Um, I'd love to know what you guys are looking forward to in particular. Um, and it's fine to repeat teams uh, if we must. Phil, I'll go to you first on this one. Uh, surprisingly, I'm looking forward to Nice versus Mets. Uh, sorry, Nice versus Lorient. Talking about Mets. Um, <laughs> nice have uh, have that game in hand. And Lorient is just uh, the type of side they need to beat. Uh, to me, they're, yeah, they're probably the worst side in, in the league uh, all, all over the pitch. And they're really the side that they need. They need to get their confidence back from. Uh, like a three nil, a three nil win would do. Would do fine. Uh, they would get the goal difference back to back to positive for Christmas. And uh, yeah, just uh, just a nice uh, a nice routine home win to get the confidence back hasn't happened a lot. I mean, uh, Nisa have have much much more points away from home than at home. They've got uh, they've got seven points at home and thirteen away from home. So they really need to to get points back at the at the Alliance Riviera. Uh, they haven't been uh, yeah they haven't been getting uh, getting points. They even lost to they even lost to, to Dijon at home. The last point they got at home was uh, late October. It's time to, to get on a bit. So they really need to to get a win against Lorient. The result won't be interesting because if they don't, then you could say that there's something wrong. Because it is, I mean, uh, we, we've talked actually with Lewis about this uh, back on Thursday. Uh, I actually reckon that Dijon are not that bad a squad, and uh, that's why I think that uh, um, that's why uh, I reckon Lorient's the worst side in the in the league. So they really need to get that win. No pressure. No pressure. Um, Jez, what about you? Um, I'm going to studiously avoid saying Lance against Brest on principle. Um, so for me, it's, it's one of two matches. I think Angers-Marseille won't necessarily be the, the most entertaining match to watch, but I feel that Marseille is sort of on a bit of a kind of precipice at the moment. Obviously, they, they've got those two matches in hand and actually could go top of the table, but um, the last two matches haven't gone great. Villas-Boas just seems a complete bag of nerves or bag of frogs i don't know what's going on in his mind at the moment tovan's publicly criticizing the the way the team's playing things are not great there it seems even though they're they're so high up um so i think this is quite an important match for them if they don't get something out of this match i think it's going to be a, a relatively miserable christmas break for them but i think that the, the the match that sort of stands out as potentially the the match of the round is is Montpellier Lille, um, just because obviously Lille go into the match um, top of the table and and will obviously want to want to um, keep that position into the into the break. But this is a, a a really tough match for all the reasons we've just discussed about Montpellier, how that you know the, those two strikers, Font and Botman, I thought were fantastic yesterday, but. Um, these two will, will give them something different to to um, to sort of contend with, and I I do think Lille look tired. I do think that Montpellier have some some good runners in their team, and and possibly have some weapons that could hurt Lille. So um, I I think this could be the 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 most it's the most intriguing, and I think could be the even the most ent- entertaining in terms of sort of. Um, kind of evenly matched um, match of this round. Yeah, that's certainly the the match that I had down as the uh, the most enthralling. Um, I guess as a as a result of that, I'll go for uh, Nîmes versus Dijon. 
uh, which is 18th versus 20th, you know, a, a, a relegation six-pointer going into the uh, the winter break. Neem obviously in a in a terrible run of form. They ended four straight defeats with that draw at the weekend against Saint-Étienne. Uh, they, like Mess, have been missing numerous players through injury, particularly the likes of, of Melling and Cubas. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, those guys come to mind more recently. Dijon, on the other hand, have looked a bit more solid since um, David Linares has taken over as caretaker manager. But equally, you know, other than the win over over Nice, which effectively got Patrick Vieira the sack, they haven't really kind of had that that the kind of cliched new manager bounce you would you would expect. And and they too have absence, particularly Mama Balde, who's probably their their best attacking player. So a crucial game for both sides. Nîmes on on twelve points, the home side. Dijon on nine points, and could be a big big game for the rest of the season in terms of the relegation battle. Uh, there you go then, listeners. Plenty to uh, plenty to keep busy with on Wednesday and to follow, I'm sure. Uh, that will be all from us this evening. Thanks very much for joining me tonight, guys. Uh, as always, make sure you're following us at GFFN on Twitter for all the latest news from the world of French football. And please check out our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com. I'm Jake Smales, and I've been joined by Philippe Bagiel and Jeremy Smith. Happy holidays from all of us at Get French Football News for anyone celebrating. Stay safe, enjoy the football, and we'll be back in the new year.